Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. The best part of the hunting season is finally here. We've waited for this all year long. Now let's make it count with some great gear from our partners. First up, Tacticam is our title sponsor, and their point-of-view cameras are my go-to method for filming my hunts. Their new 6.0 camera has added a 1-inch LCD touchscreen that has totally changed the game for me. Its lightweight design, weatherproof housing, and one-touch operation really simplify the self-filming process and make sure that I have high-quality footage to share with my family and friends. My personal favorite for archery season is two 6.0 cameras, one on a stabilizer mount on my bow and one on a bendy clamp mount for an over-the-shoulder angle. And I pair this with a Tacticam remote so I can turn both cameras on with the push of a single button. To learn more or pick up your 6.0 today, head over to Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. Now as the temps begin to drop, I know I'll be hunting in comfort with my Huntworth camo. Huntworth is making high-quality, technical hunting clothing at a fraction of the price of other brands. This time of year, I'm making sure to layer smart. I start with a set of base layers, either the Casper or the Bangor, which I have found to be very comfortable and moisture-wicking. Next, I'll have on either my Elkins midweight top and bottom or my Saskatoon heavyweight top and bottom. Either way, I'm also going to be bringing my Saskatoon vest. And because the hunting often gets better when the weather turns nasty this time of year, the Winstead rain suit lives in my hickory pack all the time. And I can honestly say that this is the best rain suit that I have ever used. You can learn more or grab your Huntworth gear today at HuntworthGear.com. And finally, the Onyx Hunt app is an absolutely indispensable tool for me this time of year. If I'm not in the action, I'm going to be making a move to go find it. And the Onyx Hunt app helps me identify those terrain features that I want to key in on with their latest aerial imagery additions. The app now has fully functional 3D on both iOS and Android, low-resolution satellite images updated every two weeks with historic look-back, and leaf-off imagery, all in addition to the base maps that you've always had in the app. Get more out of your maps this season and know where you stand with the Onyx Hunt app. Now let's get into this week's show. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. I'm your host, Pierce Nellis, and once again, I'm unfortunately without Mr. Josh Raley as he is out doing some consulting, but I had the chance to sit down with Eric Wool, head guide at Wool E-Bugger Fly Fishing Guide Service, to talk all about fly fishing for migratory fish in the Lake Michigan tributaries. Eric has been guiding in the Milwaukee area since 2019, but fly fishing for nearly his entire life. Growing up in central Illinois, he found a home in southeast Wisconsin where he guides for giant brown trout, but loves to fish for just about anything that swims, as you'll soon hear. He's a passionate angler who loves punk rock, spending time with others both on and off the water, and especially teaching people how to fish. In our episode today, we cover what species are entering the Lake Michigan tributaries, why they are there, what gear you need, and how to target them in an ethical way. 
Eric is a fantastic guy, and I thoroughly enjoyed my conversations with him both on and off air, and I can't wait to make some time to go hit the water with him. For those of you looking to do the same, be sure to check out Wool E Bugger, that's W-O-L-L-E-B-U-G-G-E-R, Fly Fishing Guide Service on Facebook and Instagram to book a trip and follow along with all of his fly fishing adventures. But before that, I can't forget to mention one of our awesome sponsors, Revo Sunglasses. You guys, if you haven't already, you need to go and check out Revo Sunglasses. They started off as my go-to glasses for fishing, whether I'm guiding or fishing for pleasure, but they're good for so much more. Over Thanksgiving, I wore mine duck hunting to cut down on glared and see what I was walking on in the marshes, but these guys seriously have a lens and a frame for any occasion, whether you're on the water or on the patio. And you can get 30% off your order with code WISCONSINSPORTSMAN30 at checkout at Revo.com. Lastly, many of you know that I'm an independent fly fishing guide over in the Driftless region, and if you don't know that, you certainly know that the holidays are right around the corner, and what better gift to give than time spent in nature? For the first time, I'm now offering gift cards for the holidays where you can give your loved one the gift of a full day or a half day trip or even just a casting lesson if you'd like to just give it a try. If this sounds like something you or a loved one would be interested in, you can find more info at goodchanceflyfishing.com or at goodchanceflyfishing on Instagram. Now without further ado, let's get on to our episode with Mr. Eric Wool. All right, joining me on this week's episode, I've got Eric Wool with me. Eric, how's it going? Going well. Thanks for the invite, Pierce. Excellent. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, man, I've been excited for this one. Uh, we've we've been talking deer for, oh man, probably six weeks now. It seems maybe <laughs> longer, probably longer. I would imagine. Um, we, you know, as as Tis most the season. Wisconsin, exactly, exactly. Tis the season, and it seems like we can start talking about it as early and or really as late as July, uh, usually. So, um, folks, this week we are breaking things up uh, from the from the deer talk. Uh, we're going to talk some Great Lakes uh, migratory fishing here. Uh, we've got Eric Wool with us, as I mentioned, who is a uh, Michigan tributaries uh, fly fishing guide. Um, Wisconsin tributaries. Wisconsin tribute. Yeah, sorry. Wisconsin Lake Michigan tributaries. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Eric. Uh, why don't you just real quick tell us about yourself? Um, tell us about your guide company real quick, and uh, let's you know, let's dive right in. How'd you get started fishing? Uh, well, I was about seven years old. My dad handed me a fly rod and told me to start chasing bluegills in a local pond. Uh, and grew up in downstate Illinois, and. Uh, we, we fished a lot. We fished primarily for food. And uh, it got to where it was like, I wanted to find a fun way to do it. Dad handed me my, it was actually my great grandfather's fly rod. And that's the rod I learned to fly fish on. And it was, An the, old bamboo, I don't even remember now, but, but it wasn't bamboo. It was <laughs> one of the old metal rods actually. Oh yeah. Was it the telescopic one? It, it, I don't, re I don't remember. This is, at this point, this is over 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I found a couple of those old ones that uh, they, they telescope out from the handle and they've got the, Absolutely. Old, the old trigger reel that has the spring in it to suck your line back up. That's, <laughs> I just got gifted some, some fly rods uh, out of an estate and in them there were a couple of the old automatic Fluger reels <laughs> and I was playing with them. I'm like, oh, I forgot how much fun these are. You get a little bluegill on and you hit the trigger and they just come right to you. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, so I, uh, my wife and I moved up from central Illinois about, uh, 
six years ago and I started guiding uh, three years ago. When I got up here, a bunch of buddies had uh, always been busting me to get out and fish more and more and more. They knew that I was a, a decent angler, had heard stories that I was a decent angler anyway. And we all got together and started fishing the, the Milwaukee quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And one buddy goes, have you ever fished for, for migratory fish? And I go, I mean, not really. We fished for stripers in Illinois, hybrid stripers sometimes in Illinois, but not much. He goes, let's go fish for steelhead this weekend. I'm like, all right. It was early and we absolutely ripped them up. And I became addicted from that point forward. I'm like, you know, first of all, you only get them for so long a year, which is crazy. Like you only get a few weeks to do this. And your game's got to be on in those few weeks or you don't get the fish, you know, especially at their height. Right now, the browns are running super thick. This is this is if you are chasing a trophy brown trout, this is the time to be out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the friends of mine are pulling them up at 16 to 18 pounds right now regularly. Man, just yeah, just absolute mutants. World class. Yeah. That's it. You know, that's what we always tell folks when I uh, when I'm teaching at those. The, the fly fishing school I instruct at and stuff, we always tell folks, it's like, if you want to catch world-class brown trout, you can either drive an hour and a half east or you can book a flight down to Argentina. Yep. I'm going to say, I, uh, I actually I fish with a dude who uh, he spends half his year fishing here and half his year fishing the White River chasing these giant brown trout. And I mean, the, he tells me regularly, he's like, now there might be a 20 pound brown trout in a, in one run on the white river it goes here. There'll be five or six that are over 15 pounds in one run. Huh. He goes, it's just, he goes, this is, there's no place in the world that has brown trout like this. And I agree with him. Like I've never, I fished a lot of places and I've never seen trophy size fish like this that okay. just stack up. And the best time to catch them is when they're on their way to the bed. Because we've talked in in private conversation about, you know, the efficacies of fishing these fish while they're coming in to spawn. And uh, it's it's one of those things, like, I don't, I, like I told you the other night, I don't want somebody floating a cheeseburger across my bed while I'm with my wife, you know, and yanking me out of my bed. Right. Not really what I'm looking for, and I'm sure that those fish feel the same way. Yeah. there's just there's no reason for it here like if you're if you're starving and you need food that bad there's there's other ways to get it you don't got to go snag a brown trout off of a bed right (laughs) right absolutely so so you mentioned uh brown trout a lot here but they're not the only migratory fish in the system correct absolutely uh the main reason i'm focusing on brown trout is that's just who's here now um, but the the season kind of kicks off with our uh, king salmon they kind of find their way in usually the beginning of September. This year we got an early pop into August, which was really nice. Um, Earliest I've ever caught them and a lot of other people, the earliest that they'd ever caught kings or uh, Chinook salmon that early. Um, Then usually after that, we get a few pinks that find their way in. Those are pretty rare though. Like I've only caught two ever. Um, They're not stocked by the state of Wisconsin. They're only stocked by Michigan and they have them just find their way and they get lost. Um, everybody goes on about how these fish just happen to magically know um, to go to their home stream. Well, that is kind of true. 
but it's also not kind of true because they're going to find a school of fish and they're going to run with it. And if there's food, they're going to follow the food. So we, we catch a few pinks that are in their spawning stage that find their way in with the, the Kings. Um, after that, the, the coho start coming in. Those are my favorite salmon to catch on the fly for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, they are streamer eaters. They love to crush a swung streamer. Co-host. They'll give you two or three good, strong hops. They'll pull you into your backing. They can they can really go. They're fun sure. fish. You're talking about cohos right now. Or yeah, yeah, still. yeah, yeah. And the, and they, <clears throat> the coho just look, they, they look prehistoric. They get all red and fired. The males get yeah. fire trucked and gnarly teeth and just super cool looking fish and and then as the coho start to kind of slow down that's when our brown trout really start picking up awesome um, and that's usually no you know november going into december thanksgiving weekend is when i start booking my brown trout trips is usually the weekend after thanksgiving okay so awesome. it's not not like black friday weekend but the next weekend sure usually when i'm kind of like hey guys this is when i'm seeing trophy fish with regularity right um and then from there you know we'll have a few steelhead that find their way in or great lakes rainbow or whatever mm-hmm. whoever wants to get salty about it <laughs> um but yeah we'll, we'll see a few of those coming in the fall um we're not quite as lucky as the the other side of the lake where they see a few more steelhead but they don't have the brown trout run that we get so sure I'll, I'll take the Browns all day long. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I like it. Um, I've got a couple of questions there. So you mentioned that they, they find a school and then they run in. Is that all, all those species they'll, they'll pretty much school up out of yep. the lake and then they just, yeah. Just... And there's, they'll come in in stages. Um, it's a genetic and preservation thing. They'll come in at a rain. Usually when we get a, a, a pop of rain in one of the tributaries that raises okay. it, the fish feel that water pushing out into the lake. Mm-hmm. That helps draw them up into the tributaries to start their spawn. And say there's a few thousand in that in that year's run, but a third usually will come in at a time. You know, that's a bit of an exaggeration. There's no exact numbers to it, but they come in in, in fleets. Mm-hmm. And that's so if anything does happen, that generation's genetics won't be lost. So you sure. won't have an entire group of salmon get wiped out in one pass. Interesting. Because salmon come in, reproduce, and die, mm-hmm. unlike the uh, the trout, the two trout varietals, well, three trout varietals that we have that that come and spawn and return to the lake. So, sure. huh? Interesting. Does does how far north you're at, or you you're you are on the you know, I guess, I mean, literally, just how far north? Like if you're if you're up by, I don't know, say like Sheboygan versus Milwaukee, mm-hmm. do they see more of like a particular type of fish? Like do any of those species prefer being a little bit colder? I don't necessarily. Regions? I don't think so. Um, okay. I, I think the, they get an early, they'll get an earlier push for sure. Just temperature wise. Okay. Sure. Um, and they might get, depending, they might get more fish than, they might get less fish. It depends what the state stocks there. And it depends what kind of rains, what kind of temperatures, you know, these fish, they'll, they'll cruise up and down the shores a lot of times until it it hits right. And then they pick the nearest running water and follow it. Interesting. So they're not quite as, 
crafty as the as the ones that come from the ocean, if you will. Sure. Um, but they still get it. They still do what they need to do. Yeah. Um, and there's proof that they still come. Like if if they've dropped them in the Milwaukee, there's plenty of proof they return to the Milwaukee. You know, mm-hmm. a majority of them. That's still where they end up. Right. Right. But, huh. That's wild. And so then. <clears throat> So they're all going in there to spawn. Yes. But they're not necessarily all in there to spawn at once, correct? No. They kind of go in different it, pushes and then it usually the 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 kick out the the layout that I, I've said before of the king, the pink, mm-hmm. the coho, the brown, and then the steelhead, that's yeah. kind of the spawn the spawn run. Okay. Um and that that starts, like I said, early fall, ends late spring. Yeah. So we have fish all winter. Yeah. I Absolutely. fish, I fish all the way through um, for these migratory fish. Um, soon as the ice breaks free, we're kicking, we're kicking ice chunks and getting in the river. Um, we were fishing off, we were fishing off sketchy ice shelves last year for stunner steelhead. Oh. It was, just, it was just nuts. But it was also super sketchy because you could see the air bubbles roll under you while yep. you were standing on the on the ice <laughs> shelf. It just feels weird. Like, you know, you're safe, but it just feels dirty. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm assuming you got all sorts of studs in your wading boots and all that. Oh, yeah. To, to grip oh, on yeah. Or if, if, I, if it breaks loose, I'm going to be, a, you'll, you'll see me on the news. I'll be the guy getting picked up out of the middle of the lake on the floating iceberg. <laughs> Looking like Buddy the Elf out there. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. Awesome. So you, so it, is it kind of a, you mentioned that that flush of rain is what kind of gets things going. Yeah. Uh, does it have as much to do with with temps, like you mentioned, or is it? Yeah. Temp, more... temp, water temperature is a big, big thing. Um, air temperature, of course, you know, is is what it is. But it doesn't. We both know this. We spend enough time in the water. Mm-hmm. Air temperature takes a while to really affect water water temperature. Yeah. But you get some rain, it's going to cool, especially a cold rain. Mm-hmm. It cools that water temperature down a lot faster. So when we get these cold rains in in the fall, especially, it really pulls in the salmon because mm-hmm. um, it's just it's cool enough. It's kind of coming to their comfort zone temperature. Um, I can't remember exactly where they're at temperature wise, what's comfortable for them. But I know I know it's not 65. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind of right at that. That's the high end for them, if I remember correctly. These sure. fish just aren't, you know, they aren't comfortable. Yeah, no, I don't know any trout that is. (laughs) No, no. They, I mean, they burn oxygen so freaking fast. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. Huh. Well, so on on the note then of of trout Mm -hmm. being trout, so when they're entering the system, walk me through kind of what what the spawn looks like for a trout here. When they go in there, is it the females leading in first still? followed by the males or what's the what does the actual dance look like for those fish the way that i see it is is usually we see uh see a male come in and clean up a red kind of get the gravel ready then the female comes in pops in drops eggs and the male comes in behind her and finishes up sure and that seems to be species to species it kind of holds true gotcha um they i don't really see them I don't know. They fall off the reds, but I don't know how much they quote unquote protect right. the reds, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I do know they are cannibalistic. You'll watch them. Oh yeah. 
eat more eggs and fry than anything in the next couple of months. Like mm-hmm. it's, I'm not, a, I'm not above it. Yellow eggs this time of year. It's that's what the, all the dry fly guys love match the hatch, right? That's our whole game. That's what yeah. we do. Right. But what's the hatch right now in this river? Like it's eggs. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, um, there's been a million salmon in the river the last month doing their fishy business. There are eggs everywhere right especially aren't rising to a caddis <laughs> <laughs> but they're, just, they're not like why would they right absolutely so let's take a couple steps back here too so yeah, yeah. we're talking reds here so for for folks who are maybe not as well versed to yeah. trout or you know fishing in, in streams and rivers and stuff when we're talking about reds we're referring to the beds right yeah, the the place that they're they're spawning, they're doing their fishy business, um, yeah, so trying to trying to bring on next year's uh, trout population. Right, absolutely. So you know, a lot of folks, I think most of us, you know, can can picture when we're walking around, uh, you know, the city park ponds or yeah. you know whatever we'll pond see. you're 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 fishing or spending time on. You see the big craters in the you know near shore and stuff like that that the bluegill or say it looks like a giant salad bowl right in the middle of the the about a foot and a half two feet off the bank yep should have one or two bluegill just smacking everything (laughs) that comes near it (laughs) exactly um so so talk to me then about what does the uh so so that's what we're looking at in in lakes and stuff that's the most you know commonly when people think of oh a fish is on his Mm -hmm. bed you know they picture a bluegill like you said or a bass or whatever it may be sitting on this crater when we're talking about going into streams and rivers for for these fish, a red kind of looks a bit more like gravelly. It's, yeah, I was going to say it's an exposed gravel, usually strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the ways that I, I tell people, because especially salmon season, at the end of the coho season, one of my favorite things to do is to get in behind a red because the, the browns that are moving in are going to sit right back there to eat these coho eggs. So you want to be able to identify a red, work behind it a few feet, and drift these eggs through. And it, these these fish that are in there, that's their feed. That's that's what's keeping them going right now. So you know, I tell them like, here's the section of river. Look for the I won't call it the lightest spot, but you can see you can see a nice big circular, sometimes more ovally pattern. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'll have fingers that come off to one side or the other, but you'll you'll notice it right away. Right. It looks very distinct um and i don't ever i don't like people walking above them uh above stream above them because it can kick up rocks and stuff and knock it down into the red and disturb the reds sure um and it's just it's not good for it and it's also not good for the 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 next angler that's going to go to that hole Mm -hmm. once you screw up those reds like that a lot of times fish are going to abandon them because they don't feel safe there Gotcha. Even if there's eggs and fry in them, they'll just they'll if it's not theirs. There. If it's not theirs, if that fish, because around here, most fish that are redded up, like I hate to say this, are are going bye bye within 48 hours of hitting a red. Sure. Um, just because somebody, it's a put and take system. I mean, somebody's going to see that fish sitting in the open. They're going to huck a spoon right across that red, and that fish is going to crush it because that's its job, mm-hmm. and they're going to keep it because. You know, again, put and take. So it is what it is. Like, sure. 
wish there was a little bit more catch and release in these tributaries because instead of having two or three 20 pounders every year we could get five or six 20 pounders every year right so. absolutely yeah so there's so there's kind of that ethical piece too and you know across the board in, in most circles of fishing you know it's uh at least at least with most of the people that i fish fishing on beds or over beds or pulling fish off of their bed like you said it's like getting snagged by a cheeseburger while you're yeah there's just your... no there's no <laughs> ethics to it there's right. <clears throat> i i consider myself an angler who's a sportsman mm -hmm. like there are people who are anglers who do it to feed their families that's something completely different mm -hmm. um for me it's not very sporting to go out there and take a fish in its most vulnerable moment of its life right and using something that you guarantee they're going to eat like mm -hmm. it you float an egg through a nest full of eggs as long as it's even close to the right size and color they're going to munch it like that's just how it is right so it's for me I, it's not my game um i've had days where and i will say this up front i've had days where i've had clients out on the river and we just we can't swing up a fish. We can't find them in the deep runs. We can't find them anywhere. And I look at them, I go, look, do you have a problem plopping an egg? And they'll say, you know, will it give me a fish? <laughs> well, probably. Yeah. And, and we'll go, we'll go dredge one up and, you know, I make sure it's not a big female dropping eggs or anything, but right. we'll find a big male sitting at the back of a red and give him a jerk and pull him up and take a picture. And he falls right back to the back of that red and, he won't leave that hen for love or money. Sure. Now that huh. being said, they if you disturb them enough, you know, that the female will leave and then the male will leave. So Right. Right. Huh. It's interesting because it's uh <clears throat> you know, it's kind of it, we we talk about the you know, you're disturbing a fish, you're pursuing a fish during their most vulnerable period of the of the year right but yeah i mean literally hey, these fish these fish live hundreds of feet deep in the water the rest of the year in the lake right so they are way down there right and, it's, and they're coming up into at at minimum six inches sometimes you know six foot at the most in the milwaukee right of water right and so, so it's and it and it's funny too because we you know in the state of wisconsin <laughs> You know, my, myself as a as a driftless trout guide, we shut mm -hmm. things down the second Saturday of October yep, yep. until the first Saturday of January, right? So that we can allow those fish to spawn without being disturbed by, uh, you know, our our you know, fishing pressure or you know, having yeah. people wade through their reds or or whatever it may be. And you know, we we attribute a lot of success to the you know just the the numbers of in our our fish oh, stuff absolutely because of that. But here we well, are you have there you have a little bit more pristine waters it's, it's a little cleaner yeah the, the reproduction numbers are a little higher because mm -hmm. i know for years right i know for years in the ohio area anyway they had shut down steelhead fishing in the spring like when they would come in to spawn yeah you were not allowed to go fish for steelhead hmm. and they didn't see any real number jump by doing that, they didn't see that because they thought maybe they could decrease the number of stockers they were putting in if they got a natural push. And they're still not seeing a big number of natural fish. So these are put and take fish. I mean, these fish are put here to be harvested. Right. 
So and we were we were talking, you know, right before we started recording too. Yeah, it's it's an annual stocking program, so yeah. the ethics of it are a bit different than the, uh, you know, absolutely one skinny little native brook trout waters. Right, it's a little absolutely. less fragile of a system. Not to mention, I mean, even even the other night when we were talking, you know, you talked about just the pH levels and yeah. how funky the Milwaukee can get. Oh yeah, you gotta. <clears throat> I love my river. Like it's my home. It's, it's like I said, I spend a lot of days on that river, mm -hmm. but it's an urban river and urban rivers come with their own problems. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I work closely with local politicians to talk about fixing those problems. We have a, a little river right now. Um, it's actually a few blocks from my house. It's called the Kinnick Kinnick river. And it's a tiny, tiny little, I don't know what else to call it. It's a shit shoot. Like literally it, it pulled pulls out of the the underground urban-ness. Um, yep. <laughs> it, it's a sewer. Um, it pumps out and turns into this little river that pumps into the lake. And it gets a salmon run in it. <laughs> and I'm talking with a few local politicians about, hey, you know, if we cleaned this up just a little bit, like we don't have to divest millions of dollars into this yeah. thing. But if we cleaned it up just a little bit, this could be another little world-class thing that Milwaukee right. has. Right. And it's it's really looking good. They're moving forward. They're doing a lot of demolition in, in parts of the neighborhood to get rid of the old concrete uh, uh, banks, embankments, mm -hmm. and turn it to more of a natural gravel. So that's, that's exciting. Um, right. And if they can just work on now figuring out how to keep all of the poo out of the <laughs> river. <laughs> yep. And yep. that's that's not a thing that we deal with a lot. Like it, it's one of those things when the river is exceptionally high, you know, backflow happens. Yeah. It it's part of it. And it's part of why we need to work so hard at making sure that these urban systems are kept up, that, you know, so pollutions are kept out of our lakes because that river isn't just the river, it flows right into the lake. I mean, yeah. that's the, one of the largest freshwater aquifers in the world right there that we could destroy just because. Right, absolutely. Well, and that's, I think so few people really grasp, unless you're right around one or unless you're spending time on one, how fragile some of those urban fisheries are. Oh, and absolutely. How, you know, if we're on the driftless, we've got at least we've got soil and, you know, pasture and stuff where that water can go up over the banks and it'll mm -hmm. flood up and it'll go right back down or that soil might even just absorb it. But when you're in an urban area, when you're in the city of Milwaukee, concrete's not nearly as absorbent as soil. <laughs> the oh. water's got nowhere to go but up. Absolutely. And it takes oftentimes a long time for it to get back down or for it to at least clear out to a point mm -hmm. where it's, you know, safely fishable it's we had a, a couple springs ago we had a pretty bad flood and water stayed high all spring mm -hmm. like just too high to fish for me anyway personally there are a lot of guys that will fish at that high but i i not not me um but i mean guys were saying that you know they were getting warnings from essentially the epa to stay out of the water because of you know toxins that were getting dumped like back pushed into the water right and i mean that's one of those things that we need to focus i for me that's one of those things i think we need to focus on pretty hard as a city is to to cut that out but it's that's any major urban waterway and i think we're on a on a bright note 
the Milwaukee is considerably cleaner. We had discussed this the other night is, I mean, remarkably cleaner than it was 20 years ago. Right. Um, the number of species that we see in the river is way up, uh, like a viable spawning species. Our smallmouth population is just booming. Um, last year I had a remarkable day where we were talking about this. I caught a, like a, an 18 inch smallmouth, a fat brook trout, and then a steelhead all in like two and a half hours. <laughs> I mean, where, where not, else, you yeah, know, yeah. Like, there's not many places you could say you did that or even just have the opportunity to even yeah. potentially do that. And just swing in the same stream. Like they all ate the same streamer. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just wild. There are days in the summer I'll be out there. And that's, I know we're talking about, you know, cold water migratory, but this mm-hmm. system's also, it's a phenomenal summertime fishery. We don't have any of the big trout, but we get, uh, we get the big less loved cousin, the carp. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Great Lakes carp is something else, man. 30 pounds of pure muscle. Yeah. They get angry. Ooh, they're, they're tricky. Fun. They've got terrible oh, attitudes. Super smart. They got great eyes. Uh, you know, super sensitive lateral lines. Yeah, there's great fun fish to try to try and catch in their heads river. like a brick. <laughs> Absolutely, and they'll just run forever. They don't have an off button. No, they, they just no. keep going. Well, not to mention they're so frustrating too because they've got the that pheromone that they. I mean, that they'll swim around in in schools. And then mm-hmm. you spook one of those things, they are a pheromone all of all of a sudden. You see one fish ripple away a little like pressure wake, head the opposite direction, and suddenly you've got like a dozen of them right all around you that just the water explodes and boils and everything's just mud. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I, that's that's a summertime like that's a summertime migratory fish. So those fish are truly Great Lakes migratory. They come mm-hmm. in the summer, they spend their winters out in deeper water where it's just a bit warmer. You know, they're sucking up uh, crab, uh, not crabs, uh, crayfish and stuff off the bottom all through the winter mm-hmm. and, and just doing their thing, foraging like crazy. Yeah. And they're when so they come cool in, too, when their lips get all, oh, and stuff like that. It's my, my favorite, <laughs> my favorite bycatch of the steelhead run are actually Great Lake suckers. Oh, they are a ton of fun. People overlook them. I've got a couple little creeks where it's essentially just suckers. Like you're not mm-hmm. going to find anything else. Right. And we'll, we'll go with five weights and nymphs and just bottom bounce nymphs and just, sure. Oh, it's just, it's as fun as you can have. It yeah. teaches people to, I've got three different people that that's how I've taught them to Euro nymph. Right. Oh, that's, I was literally just thinking like that would be a perfect Euro nymphing fish. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that upside down hook rides right to them. They love to suck it up, and yep. you set the hook. They fight hard. I mean, they're a carp essentially. You know, right. they're a current living fish. Yeah, <laughs> man. I'm once a, again, I said it. I'm earlier. not a species snob, man. Like I just love fish. Right. Exactly. <laughs> God. Once again, like like I said, you know, before we start recording, it's just getting me excited for uh, for warmer days, man. <laughs> See what's crazy is this is my this is my go time like when it right. is this cold right I, I hate when it's I don't want to say I hate when it's warmer but for me it's like ah I can fish anytime right now I'm, like when it's you got to pick your days you you, yeah. you start looking three or four days in advance and you start making plans and right tying up flies and figuring out what you're gonna throw the next day and mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I mean, hoping the, that the weather holds out and you don't get that early rain like we're supposed to. Or... Right. I need to make my way over uh, over your direction and and Man, then give it a crack because I you're I've my guest tried it anytime. Time. Thank you, thank you. Absolutely. I've, I've tried it one time and we were about a week late. It was like the end of <laughs> April and we were just yeah. just a little bit behind them. But um, when you miss them, you miss them, man. It sucks. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I need, uh, that'll be great. I'll need another excuse to buy another rod and there uh, you go. Get more, <clears throat> let the gear acquisition syndrome. I'm going to say, here we go. Let's, let's talk about ball. what, what we use this time of year. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect well, actually, time to get into that. It's Christmas time. I'm it, sure, it, sure the local Orvis slash fly fisher store would love these, uh, these shout outs that we're going to give. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> go visit Glenn. He's over in, uh, over in the Bayshore store. Absolutely. Um, so right now for me, I'm, I'm throwing eight weights, um, floating line, mm-hmm. uh, a nine foot three X leader or zero X, depending on how gutsy you want to get. Yeah. Um, if you want to go a little lighter, I like to fish a little lighter, mm-hmm. like to play the fish just a little bit more. Sure. Um, but if you're not comfortable with that and you don't know how long you can play a fish, probably stick to the zero X and land them a little faster. Sure. Fluoro, correct. And and that's what I'm going to say. I actually use <laughs> standard nylon leader and then a fluoro. Mm. I tie on a fluoro tippet that's about six, well, about four feet to my first fly. Okay. Um, which some days I'm just fishing a single fly. Most days I'm fishing tandem flies, um, standard Great Lakes rig. Um either an egg or a nymph, and then behind the egg or the nymph, same tippet, drop it down to a small streamer, a bugger. Uh, if you're familiar with Jeff Blood's White Death, there's a few other little just zonkery patterns that work mm-hmm. great. Anything that looks shatty, um, they are the main forage that time of year is going to be coming off the lake are going to be both the alewives and then the shad that we get. Okay. These little, these little emerald shad or flicker shad. Yep. Um, and they just anything white and about three and a half inches long, they absolutely eat it up. Huh. I love it. So they don't like the bigger stuff. They like something bite size. They will. They'll, they'll go after <clears throat> big size streamers. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's it's very similar to uh this is the almost like the wet fly versus nymphing conversation. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you can swing, you can swing flies all day. And I do feel that that is a little more true to the essence of, of fly fishing. Yep. Um, but in the same regard, you're going to touch fewer fish that way. Right. Um, just, you just are the nature of the game. Those, those fish aren't actively chasing streamers this time of year. It's not their whole, whole goal is to go out and crush the nearest piece of that comes by them. They're mm-hmm. looking for, things that are invading their space, something, an egg robber, or even an egg that's getting out of the nest or things like that, that they're right. more interested in right now. <clears throat> so. Got it. So then yesterday or not yesterday, the other day when we were spo- or yeah. on the phone, um, you mentioned how important it is to get your fly down. Yes. So in fly absolutely. fishing, are you, are, are you throwing, a weighted streamer or is your egg weighted 
or are you using split shot up your leader or a sink tip per se to get your fly down in the strike zone? So I've got a few different things that I use here. And, um, and this little guy right here that's, I use a tungsten. Um, let's see if you can see that. Mm -hmm. and then just a little yeah. tungsten egg, um, just milked out. Um, that gets me down that I tie him to the front. That's my first fly. Okay. Um, and that essentially that provides my weight. Um, instead of using splits, um, if you're familiar with Jeff Blood, he does uh he he likes to pearl snap, pearl stack uh his his weights. Yep. So he'll have like four or five split shot on his line. Right. And I'm like, and then his flies are unweighted. I want to do away with that. Like that's that's so many opportunities for my clients to get tangled up. Right. Or for me to get tangled right. up. Well, that's you know? what I was just thinking. Like, that's that's miserable to cast. <laughs> and then and then he's got an indicator and two flies. Yeah. So you got, you know, a minimum of two split shot, an indicator, and two flies. That doesn't quite uh doesn't There's quite turn over how you like. A <laughs> lot of tangle in there. So for me, I simplified it, and I see. I, there's a lot of other guys that do this too around here. I use one heavy fly in the front that just gets everything down, mm -hmm. and then behind it, I either use an unweighted on a slower day. I'll use an unweighted streamer. It gets a little bit more of a natural flow, especially when the water's a little bit slower. Yeah. Um, if the water's got a little bit more speed to it, if it's uh, up a little bit, I'll beef up the size of it. I'll either, if it's a darker day, I'll go to a darker streamer and I'll add something that's got a little bit of, uh, something that's going to provide a little motion in the water, uh, either okay. rubber legs or an articulation in the fly, mm -hmm. something like that. And you run it about three feet behind your egg. Okay. Um, and I run that a high stick nymph style. Um, you can run it that way. I've also swung them. People always ask me, you get a, do you get a take on a swung egg? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if, if it's in the right spot in the, in the column, they'll, they'll eat it. You know, right. no, if it's, if it's low and tumbling, they're going to grab it. It looks natural. It doesn't look exactly where it's supposed to in the water, mm -hmm. but it looks natural in its motion. Right. And it's natural in its size. They're not geniuses. I mean, they're going right. to, they're going to pick it up. Yeah. And even if it's just to pick it up and put it back where it belongs, right. they're going to pick it up. Your job is set the hook then. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, that one of my favorite things about this is it's quick take too. Yep. Be ready. Like it's, right. it's, it's, it's as quick as the little guys. Right. So, so you mentioned high stick nymphing then. So, so yeah. So walk me through what that looks like as if you're the angler here. Okay. So, I mean, I, I do a standard, my my cast my presentation or my my cast is standard just an overhand standard cast uh with um, let me see here I'm trying to figure out which rig i want to tell you that i'm fishing <laughs> <laughs> um we'll, we'll do the indicator rig with the uh a, a single egg even mm -hmm. how about that deal um so i walk up to a pool and i'm looking at it um, I'm fishing top of the pool to the bottom of the pool. Um, and I'm starting in sections. I'm only fishing. Uh, so my cast comes out. I'm quartering most of the time. I'm quartering upstream. Okay. To my cast. It lands, hopefully, 
in the seam, you're shooting for shooting for seams. If you're not familiar with the term seam, it's the edge of two different flows of water. Um, you're going to kind of try and lie your land your your indicator and your fly as close to the seam as possible and let it move as close to the bottom in a natural drift as possible because that's just where the food is. Yeah. That's that's where it exists. Are you letting that fall? Are you letting the I guess the the faster current there? Are you letting that kind of suck your your fly into the middle of it? Or are you trying to ride that seam the whole way down? Trying to ride the seam as much as possible. Gotcha. Um, these these larger trout will will sit right on the seams. Yep. Because it's where they can sit and get the most amount of food by expending the least amount of energy. Yep. Exactly. If you're familiar with the old line, find the bubbles. Yep. Follow the bubbles. <laughs> you know, there's there's no secret there. Like it's true um you just you if you can get your indicator to move at almost the exact same pace mm -hmm. as the bubbles keep your rod tip up and moving that same same pace following your indicator in a little bit higher than normal fashion yeah uh trying to create as little drag as possible yeah um you know that that's that's the ticket and so are you I, with that high stick rig then are you are you feel because high sticking you know <laughs> I've never done it. Okay. I've never yeah. done it. I've okay. never Euro nymphed. I've never done any of it. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> how do I put this? Some might refer to it similar to like jigging, right? Yeah. And kind of throwing that in. You know, think, think of it as, as uh, basically standing with your rod, jigging your fly down through the water the same way as you would if you were sitting in a boat with it, you know, throwing a, a you know, a walleye jig off the yep. side of your boat and you know doing that kind of thing you're just following it, the water uh you know rolling yeah, your, your fly along the bottom right it's, so it's are, a, you, are you feeling that on the rod yeah okay yeah, yeah so for me i tight line that is okay, my gotcha. my preferred method is tight line um i like to feel everything that's happening to my fly sure i want to feel it hit the bottom i want to feel it hit that fish's mouth i mm -hmm. want to feel it gotcha. um Whereas you're using an indicator that's, you know, non-contact fishing, yeah. um, you're letting your indicator do all your work for you. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like that as much because you can't, you can't see, you can't see everything that you can feel. Um, sure. The line jiggles in ways that you can feel that yeah. you can't <laughs> see on an indicator. Right. You got to mend. Um, and that's that's just my personal preference. And yeah, and then you get down to the whole like mending and like trying to not let your fly line pull your indicator the wrong direction mm -hmm. and like knowing how to you know that that's a whole nother thing. Um right. relying on the right drift, the perfect drift. Exactly. And for me, most of my clients that I bring out, they're newer to fly fishing. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to get them crash coursed through it. Mm -hmm. um, it's nice when I have guys that come out that 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 know when I say, "Hey, you need to mend here. You need to do this. You need to do that." But I honestly don't expect that kind of a mentality when I get a client that's coming out. Like right. most people that come to fish with me, know the basics of it, and I get them a little bit further down the road. And what I can do in my average day is, you know, three to three to eight hours. Mm -hmm. You know how it goes. You know how much you can teach somebody in three to eight hours. Yep. 
Some people, you can, <laughs> some people you can teach them the entire little red notebook of fly fishing. Some people you can teach them to tie a triple surgeon's knot and when to set the hook. I mean, that's yeah. just, you gotta, you gotta know what the expectations are for mm -hmm. that client too. Right. That's why, that's why they hired you. Exactly. <laughs> and and I will say this right board. now, when a client or when a, when a guide asks you, <laughs> what is your skill level? Be honest with them. Mm -hmm. Like, be genuine. We don't care if you suck. Like we don't, we don't care. Like, right. That's why you're hiring us is to yeah. get you better at what you do. Yeah. It um, helps us create a better experience for you. Exactly. It, 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 it helps me walk into that day knowing a little bit better what you're also going to feel comfortable with doing. Mm -hmm. And help them put you on fish more. Exactly. Put you in, a, in an environment that you're going to succeed in. Exactly. <clears throat> and you know, where you feel comfortable waiting is another thing that's important yeah. for me. Oh, because yeah. around here, we have three different systems that I can put you in. And, I, you know, one of them is is pretty tough. The Milwaukee is a, is, is a big river with mm -hmm. uh, a lot of attitude and it can push you around pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, so I have a couple of gentlemen that I fish with that are in their 70s and 80s, my father included, um, that I take to the route. Because yeah. it's a much safer system than the Milwaukee, right? You know, it's just it's a, it it is a you can you can do a lot of work from the bank, but you can also fish from inside the stream there and never find yourself in a whole lot of trouble, right? So. <laughs> I like it, awesome. I so I want to circle back here to yeah. uh, so so you you mentioned the the high stick nymphing then yes. Um, I've heard of other guys. Is that the main tactic for you is the high stick nymphing or do you do any swinging or when, when I'm fishing with, with beginner clients, especially clients that are really wanting to stick that big stud fish. Yeah. That's usually what I recommend we go with. Sure. Um, just because it produces more fish. Mm -hmm. um, but I do teach people to swing. If someone is interested in learning to swing a fly, especially downstream swing, uh, like goofy streamers. I love tying up. I mean, the name of my guide service is Wooly Bugger. I mean, I love tying up <laughs> goofy streamers that you swing. I mean, that's one of the old school wet flies. Like, yeah. They're fun. And and I I legit, I'll swing uh, tandem buggers, sure. uh, like later in January when it's mm -hmm. really, really cold and they're hanging out the bottom of a hole. Yeah. I'll put two tungstens on a sink tip just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by TackleCamp, yeah. makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge, but making user-friendly cameras you, to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. The other four Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgrades right. features this year, exactly. but the one I'm most excited about is the LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. And one area TechnoCam really shines is their mounts and adapters yeah. <laughs> that are made with the sportsman in mind. Absolutely. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, your, uh, you know just how frustrating it can be there. to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, TechnoCam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with a 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with a 5.0 wide camera for a second angle to make sure I don't miss any of the Action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, focus head over on. to their website, um, but we also have and, and share Milwaukee, your hunt. Which we're really Tactic lucky Cam. to have. Yeah. Um, that's where I spend a lot of my money and a lot of my time. Uh, <laughs> Glenn's a great guy. Go in there. You can ask him just about anything and he can get you set up yeah. and get you going.
Yeah. I mean, there, I, I was just in there like a week and a half ago and bought, I don't know, like seven different things of Marabou and just a whole bunch of hooks. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't need to spend this right now, but also what else am I going to be doing? <laughs> Absolutely. I like it. Yeah. I can, I can attest as well. Glenn's a phenomenal guy. Um, <clears throat> all right. So, so we're, we're, we're either high sticking or sticking or we're swinging for these fish. You mentioned fishing just behind the reds. Where are those reds? You mentioned kind of between six inches and two and a half feet or so of water. I mean, yeah. all the way up to six feet. Where are fish typically sitting in the water? Are they, you, you know, you kind of mentioned the seams. Are they trying to sit behind the structure? Are they down? Depending, near pools, depending on times of days. And okay. I mean, you, you trout fish. So most of the time they sit in standard trout spaces. So the, okay. the spaces behind the rocks or in front of the rocks, the hydro, the hydrofoils where yep. the, the water's not going to push them really hard. They sit close to the bottom um, at the tails of runs. Um, when you get to the very end of a run, they'll sit out there. Um, the head of a run, of course, they'll, they'll camp out right there. Yeah. Um, pools. They really love the tail of a pool. Mm-hmm. especially the bigger fish will sit in the deepest part of the tail of the pool. So where that water pushes all the way back, or if you look all the way up, all the way up to the front of the pool, coming all the way back where you see the water, the slowest, almost a lot of yeah. the times where you'll find that biggest, gnarliest fish. The trick is they're usually down there for a reason and it's not eating. Um, <laughs> they're just kind of being comfortable down there. Yep. Yep. Now I've, we've swung we've swung them up off the bottom like that before. I'm not saying it's not possible. That's mm-hmm. I mean my wife pulled an 18 and three quarter pound brown last year, um off of uh, oh I don't know it was a foot and a half wall uh, like or drop off um, that dropped into about a four foot hole, and it was sure. sitting with its face. We could see it raise its head up. We watched its kite come up a couple times. Yeah. Because it was gulping eggs at the back yeah. of a, the back of a red, and I'm like, "There's not another fish like this in the system right now." I'm like, "Get your fly back there, you know. You need to land it here." And we we talked about it, and I got her set up, and uh, she missed the first two drifts through, and it spooked it, and I thought it was gone. And she yeah. was, you you could just see it in her face; she was just dejected. And I'm like, "No, it's okay. Like next drift, next drift." And she sent one more through, and that thing dropped. And I'm like, "I, I think you got it." It's <laughs> like no, 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 no. I just I, I got a fish, and it's there were three other browns in there. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, she got it, and it was a 14, 14 and a half minute fight. And on an eight weight, the rod was just I mean doubled over, <laughs> and she got it up, and she'd caught a couple salmon before that, so she's holding it, and this is a brown trout the size of a salmon essentially. And she's like, eh, okay, cool. You know, this is a great fish. <laughs> and like, sends it on its way. <laughs> like, no, no, that was a brown, not a salmon. I'm like, that's a world, like, that's, you know, that, that 20 years ago, that was a world record brown trout. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> on the fly. Like, that was just an absurd fish. And the thing was, that day, we saw two others that were that big in that system. Really? Like, it's just this corner of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And the brown trout population, we're just we're beyond beyond lucky, right? Uh, it's so cool. 
And I mean, on top of that, like like we said, our steelhead population is is thriving. The coho population, the coho run this year was a little slower than last year's, mm-hmm. but last year's was unbelievable. I mean, we were we were catching thirty coho in a day. Jeez, and all on swung streamers, like That's not awesome. even like eggs. <laughs> like we were, it was it was get something purple, slap it in the water, and swing it over by them. Mm-hmm. The last half hour before dark, uh, I broke three flies. <laughs> they were hitting them so hard. They were breaking my, I throw a six, four X extra strong. Yeah. Extra long for my woolly buggers for, for Kings. And they were breaking those. Oh. It was nuts. Here, I got one up here. I'll pull down real quick. This, it got T-boned it. Dude. The shank is right there. Yeah. And that's what the heck, man. It was in the backside of his jaw. He bit down on it so hard it bent the bar it bent the hook, but the barb stayed embedded stayed in his cheek. Oh yeah, I kept that one. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh that was a big old male coho. Just gnarly fire, fire engine red. Yeah. Turn green on his belly. Just so they're so ugly, but they're so much fun. <laughs> Dude, I've I've had fish hit my flies and you know just immediately like snap them off. I've never had one like hit with enough force to actually bend a hook like that. Just nuts, dude. Like I said, it was in that back corner of his jaw where he had just like crushed it. Yeah, all the leverage like, was back in there. He knew that was food. Like <laughs> it wasn't going anywhere. Right. So you mentioned uh off air. Yeah. You've got an a wild story of uh going after some kings with a ten cara rod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh <laughs> I don't know how many how many folks that listen to you are familiar with the art of Tenkara. I think very uh, few. Uh, let's uh it's a, <laughs> it's a it's the, yeah. It's an it's a niche thing. For sure. Uh, it's a Japanese-born form of fly fishing, and it's fixed end, so there's no reel. Um, so you start out with my rod that I use for king starts out with, uh, I think it's an inch and three quarters round mm-hmm. fiberglass, and it goes all the way down to a braided lanolin line. Tapers, straight taper from that all the way down. And then to that line, you attach a floating level line, uh, which is like usually 12 pound fluoro. Mm-hmm. Um, and to that, I attach six pound fluoro and usually an egg because, again, yeah. that's what they're eating. Right. And then you float it through a pool. And when you hook into one, it's an absolute rodeo. Yeah, because you got no, you've got no reel. There's you've got no, no reel, drag. no drag. But that you fish are runs, running you're going with it. <laughs> yep, you're running with the fish. There's a, a video that my friend Jared posted, uh, Tinkara Geiki. Um, he uh, he posted a video of it uh, where it was I'm trying to remember which weekend it was. The last weekend in September, I think. Mm-hmm. We hooked into one, and we we I put it in the net. I got it up into my fish pond net and these, these fish, 
they they never stop freaking out like they they just don't they they thrash and go and thrash and go jared gets it scooped into the net it thrashes through the bottom of the net still attached to my tankara rod lands in the water and just takes off as fast as it can my net goes or my rod goes through my net and snaps in half oh so and we lost the fish because by the time we got to the broken half of the rod, he had worked the fly out of his mouth because I use all parkless. <laughs> oh. Man, I watched the video right before we hopped on. Oh, like nice. I was going through your posts and stuff, and I was like, oh, my God, he wasn't kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was something else. And Jared was a good 120, 130 feet from me when I hooked into the fish. That's the thing yeah. you really can't tell in that perspective of that video is he was quite a ways from me mm-hmm. and they had we'd fished for probably four hours leading up to that and none of us had touched a fish right. so they were like we were all tired and we were wet it had rained all morning and we were getting ready to go watch the packers game and have some beers and he's like we'll do we'll do 10 more drifts each and i'm like all right i'm gonna walk down to this hole sure <laughs> Never enough say that <laughs> jared's like of course of course <laughs> All well, we're, we're, didn't you say you're in a sling at that point too? I had uh, I'd actually had wrist surgery, um, or I was getting ready to have wrist surgery. I tore a bunch of ligaments in my wrist. I was in an arm. I was in a cast actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that's definitely the biggest fish I've ever landed one handed. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking there's got to be a record for uh, biggest it's, fish on ten car. I don't know. There's got to be. be. <laughs> Some of those, some of those dudes out on the West Coast right now, uh, Wasatch Tinkara, I think, is the name of it, and there's another one. They are making some ridiculously strong rods, really, um, for carp fishing mostly. But guys are starting to use them for musky fishing. Weird. I am. So, I have to try musky Tinkara once. <laughs> what on earth? You've just, I, I'm guessing you've got to be in a drift and either a uh, pontoon or not a pontoon, but like a, a float, like a belly boat. Yeah. Like a belly boat. Yeah. And just let them drag you around until they're tired. Right. I don't know. I don't know else you would do it. I landed one on a five weight and it was the most absurd experience of my life. <laughs> we were smally fishing and it came up and this just T-boned a streamer that I was fishing and it was not what I wanted or expected. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm glad I landed it. And it's a super cool story, but how big of a streamer was it? <laughs> a lot more fish than what was that? How big of a streamer was it? Uh it was a uh are you familiar with the circus peanut? Yeah, yeah. It was just a standard circus peanut. So like a three and a half, maybe four yeah. inch fly. Yeah. Nothing, Nothing crazy. crazy. Not they the, were chasing, they were eating eating little baby smallies. Oh. So it it was smally enough, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And so we had we had hit a buddy and I had hit probably a dozen smallmouth out of that hole mm-hmm. and then they all left. Like all the smallies were gone. Right. And he's like flop your streamer down there really hard. Something big just rolled in. <laughs> and it looked no joke looked like somebody opened a white garbage bag underneath my fly. Oh. And I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> and he's like, just strip set as hard as you can. <laughs> so I set into it a couple times and I lift it up. And he's like, all right, put your rod tip back down and set it again. 
I lowered my rod tip and just ripped into it one more time, made sure that fly was in there. Yeah. And then it ran me. We were in a uh, 25 foot hole yeah. circle and it just ran in circles. It wouldn't really? leave the hole just over and over and over. We finally got Milwaukee? a feature. You don't have to say you don't have to say where this was, but was it on one of the, the Milwaukee rivers? It wasn't. We I have yet to see a uh, a muskie in the Milwaukee, sadly. Okay, gotcha. Um, but it, it it is in one of the rivers I guide. Sure. Um, so sure. Yeah. Awesome. And so so you you mentioned that you're uh you 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 do the brown trout and mm -hmm. the, you know, the big Great Lakes browns and stuff, but smallies are kind of your game. Do you guide yeah, smallmouths as well? I I absolutely love smallmouth, and I that's my favorite guiding time. Sure. Um, it's it's a high production time. You turn a lot of fish. Yeah. We have a lot of fun. Um, and it's not not hating on the browns or anything, but it, it's a local fish. It's a natural fish that's here. Um, yeah. They come out of the Great Lakes. They're they're here. And, they're huge uh, too if they're out of the Great Lakes. Typically, with, with, they're, <laughs> they're honor your yeah. now. They're they're smart. You know, they're not they're not as smart as trout, but they're smart. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um, and they're they're aggressive they're sight aggressive which is yep. way more fun than trout if you ask me yep <laughs> I'm, I'm a streamer guy like that's that's where i grew up i grew up throwing streamers so like dry flies and stuff that was that's a whole different world to me like mm -hmm. we were throwing poppers and streamers that's that's what i know right so coming up here and like switching over to i had to learn to high stick nymph over the last five years mm -hmm. i never really tried it but i spent 200 days a year ago standing <laughs> in the water doing it every day i was high stick nymphing for bass dude like really yeah i they'll, they'll do it they'll hit a nymph. yeah you know you find a good ripple and just get that presented get that high stick up nice and high fly properly in line a little streamer below it and just let it drift naturally sure i doubled up on so many smallmouth that way really Oh, dude, it's so much. Now huh. we're talking, you know, six, eight inch smallies, but <laughs> right. whatever, it's a good smallies. way to practice. Totally. You got to learn some way. Mm -hmm. You might as well do it catching fish. Yeah, absolutely. That's, again, that's, I tell people, one of the first questions I ask when clients get a hold of me is like, what's your experience? You yeah. know, what is your experience level at fly fishing? I don't care about fishing. You can fish your whole life. What's your experience fly fishing? Yeah. No, because uh, it's a completely different game. Um, but if you, if you've got some decent fly fishing experience, then I know I can teach you a few different things and I don't have to break down the basics for you. Right. Nothing wrong with breaking down the basics for you. I just need to be prepared to work that into how we're going to go about our tactics for the day too. Right. Because it also makes a difference of, am I going to turn you loose with an articulated double hooked streamer that if it finds the back of my head, like, what's that gonna feel like yep <laughs> versus this big ugly thing that i'm gonna see coming right exactly <laughs> exactly and you know what's what? crazy is they both produce fish that's what's mm -hmm. wild both those flies for me these these big gaudy articulated streamers and these little bitty egg patterns i'll turn the exact same fish on them mm -hmm. you know because food is food is food right exactly <laughs> I love what you said there too about how it, it's, you know, even if they are six inch smallmouth, it's great practice. I, I think one like the absolute best practice people can get is going to the local pond and slapping beetles 
in the lily Absolutely. pads for bluegills or off the pier or off the local fishing, whatever it may be, like wh wherever you've got water nearby, if you've got a fly rod and you want to get better, pick a specific fish and try and cast to it. Cause you're going to naturally start correcting your, your own yep. cast. You don't need one of us standing right next to you saying, ah, oh, you didn't pause long enough or eh, yeah. stop your rod a little bit lower. Like you'll figure it out as you try and get closer to that fish. Exactly. It <clears throat> takes, it takes you no time at all to figure out. And you know, one of the things that I was told when I was younger that really rides with me is, are you watching your back cast? Mm -hmm. You know, slow yeah. down and watch your back cast. Yeah. Because the truer words, like what happens behind you happens in front of you. Right. right. So take your time. Enjoy it. That's what we do. We do this for fun. That's another thing. Remember that we do this mm -hmm. for fun. Yeah. You know, so if you get tangled up in a tree, laugh about it. Yeah. It's funny. Don't worry about losing flies. That's the guy's oh, problem. I sit, I sit for hours. I mean, do this. Yep. <laughs> that exact reason, man. Like boxes of flies at a time. You know, this, I got a box of woolly buggers back here that, I mean, I put in, I don't know, probably four or five hours and I'll fill it back up in no time. Like right. one of those things. Like it, it, tight guide flies. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. you don't, you don't yeah. overcomplicate it. Something that takes five to 10 minutes and then you can go about your next fly. Right. Exactly. I got a buddy that I source a lot of my nymphs and stuff from. He works at another fly shop over up North. And uh, I'm like, he's like, you need to learn to tie this nymph and this nymph. I'm like, no, I'm like, I don't want to spend 27 minutes tying up some crazy varietal of a, of a stone fly mm -hmm. to have the first, have my, not even a client, my first drift, I snag a rock and break it off. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Because when I'm, when I'm throwing nymphs, I'm going, I'm going as light as I can get away with. I'm going sure. usually, uh, see, I've abandoned the, uh, the X factor on mm -hmm. tippet. Um, I've gone to, I just do for this time of year, it's just poundage. Okay. Um, and I'm usually running about six pound when mm -hmm. I'm running nymphs. Um, really? Just, for those fish? For steelhead. Um, Holy and that's smokes. just turn your, turn your drag open, Down. let yep. them, let them run, have fun with them. You know, don't really again, don't overplay them. No, yeah. know what you know what you can do with them. But, but yeah. Yeah. And when we get into skinnier water, I'll bump it up to eight or 10. Yeah. Just because of there's so much, so many rocks and so much abrasion sure. and things that they'll drag you through. And on top of that, I mean, that fish is going to find, there's a chance it's going to find dry land. Then you got a, mm -hmm. you got a 12 pound fish flopping around on dry land and snapping off your flies and rolling back into the water with its fly still in its mouth. Right. That can happen too. So, you know, you just have your net ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> uh, that's, that's that is something i i will say um if you are going to get into this if you are going to get serious about great lakes migratory fishing invest in a good net um yeah. a large good net something that feels comfortable when you carry it because you're going to carry it for a lot of hours and you're not going to use it a lot like not to be <laughs> that guy that's just the truth blake it's going to be yep. on your back a hell of a lot more than it's going to be in the water um, so make sure it's comfortable on your back or you know, against your sling or however you choose to carry it, like mm -hmm. wherever you choose to carry your big net. Um, that honestly, I think that's for me, that's outside of your rod, your reel. That's probably your biggest investment that you need right? Um, for this game, because we're talking some fish that push up to 20 pounds 
and are in the 30 to 40 inch range. Right. So, so not just, and not just your hand net, you can't bring your, your inland trout, <laughs> inland trout net here to, to scoop them up. No, it will not survive. <laughs> and I, I personally only use rubberized nets. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're the same way. Um, but it's, that's up again, that's up to most people. I, if you're using a net, I'm not going to harp on you about what net you're using that that's starting to get into the whole like tit for tat kind of situation for me. Right. Absolutely. You care enough to, to net them. You care enough for me, I guess. Kind of yeah. a situation. <laughs> totally. Totally, man. Well, Eric, we're creeping up on an hour here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just want to circle back here and just, uh, we've covered a lot here so far. <laughs> if you had three, I think three rules of like, if you're going to get in there and you're going to start and a three might be too few. I'm kind of, I'm kind of tying one arm behind your back here. But three rules of like, okay, if I'm going to go in and I'm going to go for, let's say Great Lake Browns um, upcoming, number one, obviously is going to be book a trip with you. But if we had to add three more, uh, yeah, yeah. what would you say the 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 you know, written in stone rules are for, for getting into fish and getting out? Uh, get yourself a seven or eight weight. I don't think, especially if you're just getting into it, I wouldn't go to a smaller rod than that. Mm-hmm. That is very important. That extra backbone will allow you to to pull the fish in a little heavier. Um, yep. Six weights you can use to fish for these guys. So if you happen to have a six weight, you can get away with it. Personally, if you like me, you, you always need an excuse to go get a new fly rod. <laughs> go get yourself a, a nice new eight weight um, and a reel with a good drag. Um, those two things are, I'll put that as one, two things as one. Yeah. Um, your second thing, fluorocarbon. Fluorocarbon is key. These fish can see uh, your standard leaders. Um, f- we fish down. We're not fishing floating flies here. So everything is subsurface. And fluorocarbon helps, A, get the fly down a little lower, a little quicker. And B, is essentially invincible to the, invisible to the fish. Yeah. Um, so... It really helps with the hookup ratio. And I've, I've tested that theory many times myself and it, it does hold true. So you just reach in and grab the wrong seven pound and tie on to see, and it, you know, your hookups go from five a day to, to none a day yeah, kind of a situation. So, um, and the third thing, uh, are we talking equipment or just, just in general, I think I'm going to follow this one up with what are the top three flies you need to. That's what I'm going to say. Let's, let's talk about flies and maybe uh, like tippet. Yeah. Um, So uh, I'd say your top three flies for uh, migratory fish this time of year, because they are coming into spawn Mm -hmm. are going to be egg patterns. Like that's just what it is. Like egg patterns are, are ubiquitous with this great lakes spawn They're everywhere. So you know, little, little yellow egg patterns are spectacular. Um, a second variation or, or second thing I really recommend are white woolly buggers. Like no joke, just oh. a standard white woolly bugger size eight, um, sixes. And occasionally I'll jump up to a four, mm-hmm. but that's only later in the spring as the bait fish are starting to get a little bigger. Sure. Um, so mostly eights and sixes. Um, I like those heavily weighted with the tungsten bead head. Um, I want them down. I want them crawling on the bottom. 
Yeah. Uh, they come in a lot of times. I'm not 100% sure what they're thinking this is. Some guys think that they think it's just dead stuff floating along the bottom. It's just white junk, protein, mm-hmm. free fr- protein floating along the bottom. Right. There are also L-wives and uh, all kinds of other small bait fish that are in the Milwaukee. I think it's those. I think it looks more like that than anything. Yeah, totally. Um, and then if you want to get into big streamers, um, get into chasing big fish with big streamers, uh, the Peanut Envy um, is a good one. And then this one is a Rusty Trombone. Um, and those are both, uh, well, I don't think the Peanut Envy is originally Kelly Gallops, but mm-hmm. they're Kelly Gallop streamers. Yeah. Um, I really recommend an articulated streamer, something big, something gaudy and flashy. Um, right now, one of the main four or one of the main forages for these fish are goby out of the yeah. lake, the round goby. And if you can find something that looks like a round goby, I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna go after it. Sure. I mean, they're gonna, especially if you crawl it across to the backside of a bed or something, they're yeah. gonna, they're gonna get real <laughs> mad about that. So, but really my favorite place to swing these big streamers like this is I like to get out in a long get in a long run where the water is just, you got a nice long straight stretch of water. Yeah. You pick that seam and you hit cast it all the way across and let it swing all the way through that fast water. Sure. And get it down as low as you can while you're doing that. And one side or the other, some of my favorite brown trout moments that I've had on the Milwaukee where I've watched Browns follow a fly all the way across yeah. and then hit it on the opposite side of the run. Right. And take it and run back over to where it came from. Well, there's something about, and I found this in our driftless streams too. There's something about when you swing it and then it hits the end of its, of its, that, that belly in the line and it kind of snaps and it flicks down right in front of their face. It just pisses them off to no end. So I've started tying up this, uh, it's essentially a, essentially a bugger, Mm -hmm. but it's got, uh, above and a blowing okay yeah um and when it speaking of hitting the end of your swing yeah. this fly snaps so hard because it's got that extra double wing mm-hmm. so marabou wings on the top and bottom yeah. really grab that current and it just just huh. goes nuts it and i was recently told um rubber legs start adding more rubber legs to my stuff apparently with a lot of these Great Lakes fish, they feel the rubber legs like the uh, the lateral lines on the fish. It looks or looks like the lateral lines on the fish as the rubber legs are moving in the water because they run perfect on the side to right where they would sit. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And that was one that I had picked up huh. from a little tip I'd picked up from Kelly Gallup in a video I was recently watching at like mm-hmm. two in the morning because not sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. That's cool. I, I've uh, I never thought of that. I honestly, I thought it was just like you know, it's kind of one of those things. Like, eh, the legs they just make it look buggy. Yeah, there's cool. it works vibrations. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It has a little flick to it, a little bit of breathe, or you know, makes it breathe a little bit. Who yeah. knows? Whatever the deal is, but now man. I will I will say one more fly. I guess um, I'll throw in one more. Yeah, uh, the the white death by uh jeff blood is i mean synonymous with great lakes trout fishing of any Mm -hmm. kind and it's just a simple zonker um and you can tie it up in a ton of different variations you can buy it in a ton of different variations 
I sell flies. If anybody's ever interested, if any of your guys are just getting into it and want to buy a fly, they can email me and, you know, we can talk about, I do custom tie ups and stuff like that. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and yeah. I'm a little surprised that the egg sucking leech didn't make the cut. It is it overhyped? It's Hot there. Take. Is it an um, overhyped well, fly? <laughs> the, so my thing with the egg sucking leech is it's essentially a woolly bugger with mm -hmm. uh, a bead head. Right. Um, or you can do the tied off ones. I have a few of the, I don't have one with me right now. It's in my, I, uh, nope, I don't have any right now. Here's one. Yeah, this one, I bulk, did a bulkhead on it where you can see that I tied up the. Yeah. I like those, but yeah. they're fine. I mean, they're they're, they're productive, mm -hmm. uh, but I'd say they're probably just a little lower for me than the zonker and the, and the white woolly bugger. Yeah, no, it makes if, sense. If, if you're gonna do the um, the egg sucking leech, I do it in uh, black. Yeah, with either a chartreuse or orange head. Sure. Purple's also good though. Um, and remember the classic rule, dark day, dark streamer, bright mm -hmm. day, bright streamer. Got it. It kind of is true on the Great Lakes that the, the darker the day, the harder it is for a fish to pick up a bright silhouette. Mm -hmm. So you throw on that dark streamer and it casts a little bit more of a shadow. They can right. pick up a silhouette yeah. a lot easier. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, awesome, man. Eric, where can folks go to uh, get a hold of you if they want to start booking a trip and dive down their... Uh, quickly develop a new obsession of Great Lakes trip fishing. Well, uh, there's a few different places you can get a hold of me. You can get a hold of me on Instagram, uh, and that is wool, W-O-L-L-E-B-U-G-G-E-R, wool e-bugger. Uh, it's a classic fly pattern, but it's also my name. <laughs> um, and then the guide service is the same. It's wool e-bugger, and you can find me on Facebook that way. Um, and you can look me up. Uh, I don't add a lot of people on regular Facebook. I'm weird about that because, you know, Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> but uh, you can look me up, Eric Wool. Um, and if you have any questions, feel free to just shoot me a message. If you're just getting into this and you basic, simple questions, feel free to shoot me a message on Instagram or Facebook. Or, you know, you can email me uh, the same. It's wool.e.bugger at gmail.com. Um, any of those places are solid places to get a hold of me. Um, and booking trips right now, uh, like I said earlier in the interview, I was just getting over wrist surgery. Um, mm -hmm. So my fall season was cut short. So we are picking up, I'm hoping January, the second weekend in January, it looks like I've got my first trip booked for the season. Got it. So, so well, you said that they're starting to come in. I mean, the Browns are right now. So the I mean, Browns folks, are... Browns have moved in slowly over the last couple of days. And mm -hmm. I talked to a friend this afternoon and he said, they're really, really starting to, to pile in on a smaller river. So awesome. I'm hoping the, that we, we have a, I have a buddy trip plan for in the morning. Cool. And I think, I think he and I are going to hopefully at least find one or two. Yeah. My guy is yet to, to find himself one of these big, big, like one of the 18 to twenties. So it's a goal tomorrow to find one of these big uglies. <laughs> God, that's so wild. I'm, <clears throat> I'm sitting here thinking like 18 to 20 Browns, like 
18 to 20 inch browns yeah it's a hell of a fish no you're talking 18 to 20 pound browns, browns. over by you <laughs> browns, yeah. they're, they're 38 or 39 inches you know yeah right <laughs> god well folks be sure to go out uh you know do yourself a favor, like book a day with Eric. He's a great guy. Can attest. I'm sure just by listening to this, you can, uh, you can gather the same. Um, Eric, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. I learned a ton. I think our viewers learned a ton. Um, I hope so. I, look I truly appreciate you having me on, man. This was great. This is uh this is the first one of these I've ever done. So uh, awesome. Thank, I'm glad. Thanks for having me on. I really, I really appreciate it. And you know, seriously, guys, uh, if anybody out there has got questions about getting into this Great Lakes game, get a hold of me. I'll happily do a guided session with you, but I'll also, you know, I'll, I'll take you out and do what I can to help you get going if you're on the river. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be that guy that sees you out there and tells you to buzz off. So. Right. <laughs> and, and seriously, man, you find yourself over here. We'll, we'll, I'll get you on one of these big, ugly hogs and get you some pictures up on the Instagram. For Deal. You don't tempt me too much that'll that will we'll definitely have to make that happen man i'll be in touch there's, there's some great beer in this city too so yes there is <laughs> i'm just saying we do we do celebratory beers after every trip if you are of age so that sounds that sounds real good to me <laughs> there we go awesome well eric thanks a lot man and uh stay in touch i look forward to fishing with you absolutely thanks again Pierce.
That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out the sportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.